Hey yo, hey yo. Welcome to another episode of Live One for One, where we have conversations that challenge us to live a life that will change a life. My name is John, your host, once again here with a really good friend of mine, Messiah Spivey. This guy is a legend. Uh, actually, honestly, a mentor in my life as well, too. And it's funny that I say that because you're only 21. I think a lot of times you can think, oh, a mentor in my life means that someone's older, but a mentor can also be somebody that is younger. So I think the definition really of mentor is who is living a life that is challenging you in ways in which you aspire to be. Mm, I, like that. Of their I like that. That's yeah, good. I just came I up with that. that. I just threw that out there. That was good. That's why you're running this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the one thing I've said. It's yeah. actually been good since I've started yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Because I am, I'm 22 actually. So, 22. oh, yeah. So yeah. at least, at least right. you get, you got, yeah, I got that right. <laughs> you had the quote, but we'll, we'll just cut out that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, tell it, dude. Tell everyone, you know, a little bit about yourself. You know, um, where are you from? What do you do? Family life. Just give yeah. them a little bio. Yeah. Well, I'm from Binghamton, New York. Whoop whoop whoop. <laughs> We're we both. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I'm from Binghamton. Yeah. Um, I was born and raised there. I moved around within like that area. Yeah. Um, so if anyone knows that area, like Endicott, Minnemul, moving yes. around there. And then um, I went to school for like half a year Yeah. Uh, in the States and then another half out of the States. Uh-huh. And then um, a lot of stuff happened and then I met my wife. And so me and my wife has been, we have been married for one year. One year. So, okay. Yeah. Wow. That's so that's awesome. just like the quick synopsis of. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the fast forward version of where I've lived, where I've yes. been. Yes. And so. I've met Messiah. I've known Messiah for, <laughs> gosh, 10 years ish. He, so Something like that. When, when I was I 12, first, I guess. Yeah. When so. I first started uh, full time vocational ministry, been in ministry for about 20 years in the nonprofit world for 20 years. And uh met you when I was first coming into youth pastoring and you were six in sixth grade and huge afro, tons of swag. He was just the no. most popular kid in the youth group. No. And uh then Messiah's journey, and this is kind of what we're gonna talk about today because I think it's important that people, especially younger people, being in the ages of high you know, really really junior high, high school, college, um, that you have such an ability to lead up in an organization because going back into our story where I came into that youth ministry, Messiah was a, became quickly a student leader, which eventually led him to have input into the way that we structured some of our youth ministry, which we went from a 30, uh, about a 30 kids in our program to eventually around 120, 150 kids that were coming out every week. Um, vans coming in from all the different parts of the Tri-Cities area. Very multicultural, very lively, tons of fun. And you were a big part of that. Um, and I think I, I would love to hear you just kind of share a little bit about what gave you the ability during that time to be in junior high, be in high school, to not care about what people thought and yet to be able to be evangelical to a point to where you were able to have an influence where those kids wanted to come with you to our, the youth ministry that we had every week. 
Yeah. So I think when you first said that, I thought of suicide. That was first first thought. Oh wow, that's yeah. deep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right, I was not expecting that. That was a that was a first thought because one of a one of the bigger moments for me that I had like that realization um, of you know, God over over people kind of thing, mm-hmm. or just God over everything else, mm-hmm. was because I was extremely suicidal because my mom got another boyfriend, mm-hmm. or just, a boyfriend that wasn't my dad, right? Mm-hmm. They had yeah, yeah, separated, yeah. Um, which that was the first time ever, like mm-hmm. since, you know, since being without my dad, right? Sure. Um, tens of years, whatever that looked like. And so, you know, she got a boyfriend and then they got pregnant and I was trying to tell everyone, hey, like this person is not, mm-hmm. he doesn't have good qualities. Sure. And so I just felt not listened to at all. And then not only that, then this person had to be in our lives because now there's a child in play, mm-hmm. um, you know, and obviously things have changed with him since then. But mm-hmm. still in that moment, I was just like, yeah, I don't have a voice. Like, it's just me and my mom. Now it's not. Sure. And I don't have my mom because, you know, he's an alcoholic and he's doing these different things and he needs to be tended to. And then mm-hmm. we move out to the middle of nowhere into the country. And so then it's like, now I have nobody. And mm-hmm. I moved to a super small school where it's just like a whole bunch of white kids and Asians, a couple of Asians. Mm-hmm. And then just me and Jace, two black kids, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, that's like, that's what I went into. Mm-hmm. And so that was something I struggled with a lot. And to make a super long story short, I got to a point where one day I was like, God, like if you're the only person I have, like that's enough. Mm. And like that kind of ended that. Like, and there's times I still like struggle with that. Like that's something that I feel like like people have different things that maybe like they might go back to or um, that the enemy like uses. And I think mm. like that's one thing for me of just like not feeling wanted or loved, mm. you know, or not feeling like um, like I'm, I matter, you mm. know. And so that's what I mean. Like I think for me, like going through that was what it took for me to realize in all areas that like God, like if you're the only one I have, like that's enough. Yeah. And so then it didn't really matter like whether people liked me or not, even like I still wanted to be liked or different things. Sure. Because I I had went through this like thing that was so hard and I felt so isolated and I knew like, okay, like all these people left me that I felt like I needed. Yeah. And God was still there. So. Love that. Yeah. That's good. And so because of that, you just were able to go into those fears of junior high, high school. Mm -hmm. And just be able to be yourself and be real about your relationship with God. Yeah. 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 What, one of the things I've noticed about you is that you weren't really like one of those people that came in and you were just holding up signs that said, you know, turn or burn, or you weren't (laughs) in the front of people's faces Mm -hmm. trying to bring judgment upon every single thing that maybe they were doing that was contrary to your biblical worldview, but you were Mm -hmm. very attentive to listen. You Mm -hmm. were then following up that time that you had with them to prayer. Yeah. I think I've seen that a lot with you. Can you kind of unpack how you kind of have found that rhythm with people? Cause it's yeah. different. I mean, everyone has a different rhythm Yeah. and I th- I've seen your rhythm in that. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times it's in the fruit of whether or not that rhythm actually works. Um, and I think there's discernment that needs to take place when we're having those conversations with people, whether we agree or disagree with what their lifestyle is and what they're doing. But mm-hmm. I've always known that and seen that people that you were having conversations with uh, that maybe didn't have the same biblical worldview that you did, they respected you tremendously. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and would still even go to church with you and still come to youth ministry, even though maybe they weren't a hundred percent on board with that whole yeah. movement. So, yeah, no, I, I think, um, it kind of goes back to like what I was just talking about is that, um, that experience really changed how then I walked and just like in a general, like one statement or like a, just one main thing, mm-hmm. um, that really was, was a, uh, a catalyst for me was realizing, okay, like I didn't feel listened to or like loved. And so I didn't really, if I didn't feel listened to or loved and that's something I struggled with and I know what that's like for Christ to fill that hole, then Mm -hmm. that's the one hole that I'm going to try to fill. Mm. So it wasn't like about like a theology thing or, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just like works and trying to do these different things. You got to yeah. come here, you got to do this. It was just more about, like, I know what it's like for that hole to be filled. Yes. And if I want to, like, be like Christ, mm-hmm. no one listens to people. and mm-hmm. No one takes the time to just allow them to be themselves mm-hmm. and to present the truth and the gospel mm-hmm. to them. Yes. Um, and so that, that was just what I was going to do. It was like, okay, I'm going to just listen to people and mm-hmm. love them well and truly get to know them. Yeah. And if Christ really is everything to me, then as they get to know me, they will also know Christ because yes. I don't separate it. Yeah. So that, so that's what it was. It just, I experienced that and I'm like, well, I want other people to experience it. And so mm-hmm. I'm just going to listen mm-hmm. and love well and present the truth. Yeah. So I love that. I think a lot of times what we see with people is that they, they take the truth and then they use the truth to be able to justify what they believe Mm -hmm. and that can produce, let me say it this way, not justify what they believe. I think people can take the truth, biblical truth that they have, and then they can take that and then they can force that on someone and hold someone accountable who has never submitted to that truth. Mm -hmm. Like they have to bow the knee themselves and submit to that truth. And they haven't done that. They, the Holy spirit is the only one that can draw them to that submission. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that you don't present the truth, but I, the biggest question is how do what is our motivation behind presenting the truth? Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of times the motivation that people have when they're tr- presenting a truth um, is that they want to be right, mm-hmm. or they can check off on the box and saying, "Hey, I presented biblical truth today, and mm-hmm. therefore I told people about Jesus, and I don't care what they believe, whether they believe it or they don't. They heard the truth, and now it's up to them to decide." Mm-hmm. And I think that level of arrogance is really dangerous because people that are hurting, like you said, they can detect whether or not you genuinely care about them or mm-hmm. if you care more about your truth. Yeah. And there's, that's a very real thing. People yeah. can genuinely care more about their truth than they do about the person. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a, a biblical truth, it's like, yeah. I care more about this and being right. And I'm going to go head to head with you and argue and argue and argue, or mm-hmm. even make you feel incredibly embarrassed publicly Yeah, for the sake of me being right with my truth versus just taking the time to be able to hear someone maybe even ask them the question, which is a really great follow-up. Hey, are you willing to hear kind of my perspective on that? Mm-hmm. And giving them giving you an opportunity yeah. to speak into that and then going from there. Yeah. I think that's really special. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I didn't, I thought about it, but when you said it, I kind of heard it differently um, for the first time, just how like people care more about presenting the truth mm-hmm. and caring about people. And I think I also felt myself starting to get to a place where I kind of just cared more about 
like presenting the truth or like for myself, like, okay, like, was I obedient to Christ? Like, mm-hmm. did I present the gospel? Do, did I do these things? Yeah. Which is, which is important, like, yeah, to yeah. ask yourself, am I being obedient to Christ? Yeah, for sure. Nevertheless, it's like, I still have to care about the people that I'm serving. Absolutely. And I, I think that, and that's what I mean. Like, I think I, I even noticed myself getting to that place where it's like, yes, like that truth is important. Yes. And you can care about it as well. But if you don't care about the person that you're serving or have some kind of compassion, um, you know, unless, I don't know, unless you're a surgeon or something and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you just got to do one, two, three every time and, you know, people are saved. It's like, yeah, you know, like he's the surgeon, like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And it's like, we still have to care about people. Yes. And it's like, if you don't listen, then you don't know what truth to present mm-hmm. because you don't, you don't know. Like yeah. if you don't listen, you don't know how to love them. Yeah. Because there's so many facets. It's not just like one bandaid of yes. that love or that truth, yeah. even though that they need Christ at the end of the day, like yeah, you still don't know right. like where they're at or what the reason is. Because yes. maybe the only reason they haven't accepted Christ is because nobody has stopped to ask them what that reason is or yeah. just to listen to them yeah. or say that they care. Yeah, that power of that question is huge. Yeah. And, and touching on the fact of when you're looking at people, and I know I've experienced this as well too, is people want the opportunity to feel like someone will listen to them without mm-hmm. you telling them, hey, I get what you're going through or hey, here's what you need to do mm-hmm. without feeling like they need to be fixed all the time. Yeah. And I think when you go through hardship and you're exposed to very hard things, you don't want people to do that. Mm-hmm. Like nine times out of 10, the hardest things I've ever been through in my life, I'm looking for someone just to say, dude, I'm praying for you so much. I want you to know if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know. Or B, they have just done something for me Mm -hmm. that I wasn't expecting without asking me if there's something that I need to do. And I'll even follow up with that, with them saying, man, I could never, I could never understand what you're going through, Mm -hmm. but I want you to know that I'm here for you. And I remember one specific time, and I'll share this story real quick. So my son had cancer. He was two years old, went through chemo, blah, 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 went through the whole Ronald McDonald house. Very, very tragic, very hard time in my life. There was a lady in our church her son had cancer. She just transitioned out of our church and she moved to Tennessee. I was still living in New York. Her son was like stage four going through it. And she, and I realized during the time that I was going through everything with Judah, how frustrated I was when everyone kept coming up to me and saying, man, I understand how you feel because you know, so-and-so went through cancer and I get it. And I, and they would just keep trying to fix me. And I just, I got to a point with a couple of people and I just said, I don't need you to fix me. Like, I don't need you to tell mm-hmm. me all the things I need to do right now. Like, I just, I, I can't handle that. Like, mm-hmm. I just need someone who's just going to just pray for us. Just say, it felt good actually when someone would say, man, I had no, I, I have no idea what you're going through, but mm-hmm. you know, we'd love to bring you dinner and we're going to bring you dinner something like that. Just feeling like being like I could just own it, you know, on my own without feeling like everyone needed to fix me. And I remember this lady was talking to me about her son and she was going on and on and on. And I told her, I said, man, um, I I can't imagine what you're going through. I'm so sorry. Mm. I said, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you guys. And I didn't even tell her about Judah. Mm. She ended up finding out about Judah. And then she sent me a text and she said, you know exactly what I'm going through. How come you didn't say anything while we were talking? And I said, because I don't understand what you're going through because he's not my son. Mm-hmm. He's your son. He's your story. It's his story. Mm-hmm. His journey is his journey and your journey. And I don't understand all that. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the dynamic and all that. 
And she sent me back a message. She said, I cannot believe that. Like that blessed me so much. Mm. And it's true though, because when it comes to like evangelism, like you're talking about or hearing yeah. people's pain and hurt sitting there and saying to them, man, I, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Like, I want you to know, I don't understand all of it, but like, I'm here for you in it. Um, I'd love to offer a couple, if you're open to it, I have a couple suggestions on maybe something that might help. Mm-hmm. And then being, being willing to see if they are open to hearing some mm-hmm. things you want to say versus just broadcasting it to them yeah, and yeah. trying to fix them right out of the gate, mm-hmm. you know? So that's really good, man. I've always seen you do that and I've always been so impressed by that. So here we go. Both, you know, you're having influence on these kids. We're in high school. Youth group is growing. You know, you end up going to Bible school. You end up uh, meeting this beautiful girl named Jasmine, and she's amazing. Really special mm-hmm. girl. She has a really, really powerful story as well. Um, you have been in circles multiple times where you God has used you to lead up into situations where there is somebody much older than you in a leadership role, and you find yourself in these circles. Have you noticed that in your life? Or am I noticing this for you? I think you're noticing it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because obviously you had that influence while we were at Cal- you know, Calvary's Love and the church mm-hmm. that I was a part of. Um, tremendous amount of influence, people looking up to you. You were in the circles with our leadership team and speaking into that. And then now, um, you know, being in the Bridge House, um, you know, you work at the Bridge House and mm-hmm. you handle our communications here. So all our podcasts and social media and everything that goes out, that's, that's what Messiah does. Um, you also do so much more than that though mm-hmm. because you're in this fear where you're helping us being able to kind of navigate some things as well too um and you always have great ideas talk to me a little bit about how when you're in that circle of people that are older than you maybe you agree disagree like how are you leading up in that in that mm-hmm. environment um maybe from past experiences and the experience you're currently in yeah uh, yeah, I, th- I think just honesty. Mm. Um, I'm not. I'm not always like honest about like maybe how I feel about things. You know, and I realize okay, maybe I like was bitter about this, or I didn't, you know, talk when I needed to. But I think just like that honesty and not allowing um, like the age to affect it. Mm-hmm. And it's like okay, like if we're all the same age. Like what needs to be done in the situation, or if we're yeah. all like on the same level, same mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. Um, what would need to be done in the situation, mm-hmm. and w- so then what do I need to do in the situation? Yeah, and and just all, once again listening well to know like, okay, is this an opportunity for me to add something, or is this an opportunity for me to just learn something? Mm. Uh, and then if the opportunity is given to to share, I think taking that. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's just overall, like, yeah. in all these different situations, just, okay, what needs to be done, and can I do something about it? Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think it's really important, too, when, if there's any leaders that are listening, that you have to create space for people that to be able to share how they feel that might cause conflict and, dis, and then cause friction mm-hmm. with you as a leader as well. So you're not hiring people so that you can tell them what to do. You're hiring people so that they can tell you what to do in the areas that you've hired them to oversee. Yeah. And then if they speak up and then it's directly against what you feel 
Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. Yeah. Because now you know, like, you don't have a bunch of yes people in your organization. And even though, and I've heard it said this way, which I think is important, is even though people may have some type of friction and maybe there's not a, a, a common course of action that everybody's agreeing on, you know, the leader does have to be the tiebreaker mm-hmm. for sure. You know, they yeah. have to be the tiebreaker. Somebody has to make the decision, right? They have to be the tiebreaker. And then the the real way that I think that individual again can lead up, which I've seen you do as well too, is the team rallies around then and, you know, um, unambiguously rallies around that decision Mm -hmm. that that leader had to make that tiebreaker on. And then they move forward together, even though maybe they, at least they got to share how they felt. Maybe the leader made some adjustments and make everybody happy. He was the tiebreaker. You know, they all move forward together Mm -hmm. in unison. And I've seen you do that as well too, where it's, you've shared your hard truth of what, Hey, I'd, uh, I don't know if I feel like this is the greatest idea. Here's yeah. why. Um, and sometimes we've changed it. Sometimes we haven't. Mm-hmm. But I've seen you be able to still rally around the common course of action that was decided by yeah. who was in leadership, which yeah. I think says a lot because it's humility mm-hmm. and that brings trust to whoever's in leadership too. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's good. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I think sometimes you never know like if the person's listening, you know? Yeah. Um, my memory is not like short when it comes to everything from youth group, um, but it's growing dim. I'm getting older. They're in age, so <laughs> you're getting older, bro. You're 22. I'm 41. Oh my gosh, get out of here! But yeah, so I think I think it's good to know that you are listening, and obviously mm-hmm. I can tell different things. But once again, sometimes you know when you're like in the fire, it's hard to kind of see sometimes that someone's like on the yeah. outside turning down the heat because you're like, oh. Like, okay, okay, yeah, like, you, you were out there. Yeah. Because in the moment, like, there's just so much stuff going on with school and with family and all these different things. Mm-hmm. And um, I think always, always looking back, like, ever just since being out of high school, always just seeing the impact and how much you trusted me with and how much that you uh, took a risk on just involving me with things and loving me well, I think. Mm-hmm. And then that's the thing is, like, I think I remember more the times where, like, you know, your phone would just go off in the middle of... <laughs> My phone is going off. I'm so sorry. That's not, that's staying in the podcast. I know. Keep it in there. The rudeness. <laughs> Such a terrible person. Yeah, I think I, I more remember once again, like the intentionality of like that you took the time to mm-hmm. listen, you yeah. know, in those conversations versus like whether it happened or not, which is, that's the interesting yeah. part. And that's what I mean. Like, I don't really right. remember whether it happened or not, but I do remember the time that you took and the time that you would consistently take going back, even if they were on conversations. Well, I think that's mostly a lot of times, especially in the church sphere, because they bring in interns. I mean, businesses do that too. Mm -hmm. When you bring people straight out of college and you bring people that are still in school as a leader, I would say nine times out of 10, most leaders are thinking to themselves, Hey, we're hiring some grunts here. They're going to help do some legwork with some things that we need to do. We're going to start just giving them administrative stuff or things that nobody wants to do It all. Just kind of starts to go downhill. And those people do it because they want to climb whatever ladder that is in front of them. They have places and dreams and things that they want to do. Or maybe they even are inspired by the mission overall. Mm -hmm. But eventually that wears off quick Mm -hmm. when the leader's not giving them an ear for them to speak into. Not that he has to do everything that he's saying that not not that he has to do everything that they're saying that he should do, Mm -hmm. but just even having that ear to say, Hey, you've been interning here or Hey, you just got hired here. You're right out of school. Tell me what you think about this decision. This is a big decision we're going to make as an organization. What do you think about it? 
I mean, you do, you're around what we do. You know what we do. You know our values, you know our mission. Mm-hmm. Speak to it. Yeah. And when you do that, you're allowing people to feel like they have ownership. You're allowing mm-hmm. people to feel like they're part of something bigger. And the funny thing is, I think a lot of times in organizations, especially businesses, they try to recruit people based on, hey, this is how much we're going to pay you. We're going to offer competitive salaries. We're going mm-hmm. to offer you various different perks of the job. And really, at the end of the day, the thing that people want most is their leadership to listen to them, mm-hmm. to feel like they have an ear to speak to yeah. and that their opinion matters. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't do it all, just to hear that leader say, hey, what are your thoughts on this? This is what we're kind of leaning into. These are some challenges that we're having. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, And then maybe... And not even maybe, I know there will be things that come out of that conversation that will be some great additions to what maybe they were already planning on doing, or it will save them from maybe even doing that altogether and they end up doing something completely different because someone just was boots on ground and mm. saw it from a totally different perspective. Yeah. And it brought change to that. And when we were in, you know, this is in the context of youth ministry, but when you have kids that are in school and they're, reaching and they are around other kids. If youth pastors or senior pastors fill in the blank, even parents aren't engaged with like what's happening in that sphere and aren't listening to their kids. Mm-hmm. You do yourself such a disservice yeah. with knowing what's going on in the life of the kids that you are stewarding for a youth ministry, your own kids that are in your home. Mm-hmm. And I think even as a lead pastor, knowing what maybe your youth pastor is going through with having to manage all those kids that are going into public school and the, mm-hmm. this, the things they're dealing with are obviously mm-hmm. falling on his shoulders and the parents that he's pastoring shoulders as well yeah. too, you know, um, which is really real. So yeah, I've seen you lead through that, brother. The beautiful thing is talk to me a little bit about the Bridge House because you and your wife, you come here, God called you here, and I've seen you guys transition to where you're working at the bridge house and there was something that unique that happened at the bridge house, which I'd love to hear your, your story on. Cause this is another way that you can lead up in an organization. Um, and maybe something that is very broken, um, as a whole mm-hmm. in our state. Oh, 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 uh, uh, okay. I was confused. I was like, uh, yeah, there's a little cliffhanger leading yeah, there. Right there. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so do you want me to tell them how I got here? Or did you want me to just tell them what's happening now? Yeah, just tell me what's happening now. You right. can tell me the, take us through the journey. of Because I think when we're having these conversations about leading up, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about in the context of, you know, when you were younger, sixth grade, yeah, um, through middle school to high school. And just mm-hmm. for one, you had to have a leader that was going to listen. Two, you had to be honest and share your truth and not yeah. be afraid of what people are going to think, whether you were at school or whether you were sharing your truth to the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also, we talked about, even though maybe that leader didn't agree with everything mm-hmm. that you still rallied around their decision and move forward and yeah. carried the torch with them through it. Um, but then kind of moving into what we do at the bridge house, you know, there was a time where we worked mm-hmm. very, very closely with the state and you have come into this organization as communications coordinator, mm-hmm. but you also were serving. Yeah voluntarily with some of the kiddos that were in that Mm -hmm. sphere. Um, And basically just so everyone knows, 
we had kids that, you know, the bridge house leading youth out of homelessness. We had some kiddos that were in DCS custody that were staying at the bridge house while they were waiting placement and kind Mm -hmm. of a segue into what happened with you and your wife during that time. Yeah. So uh, a lot of times during my work, I'm mostly here at the office or like out somewhere else. Yeah. Um, But more recently I've gotten to be more at the bridge house, uh, which is great. And so, you know, I think like a month and a half ago now, maybe I think like two months ago now, yeah. um, at this point, I started going to the Bridge House more. It was like every day for like this two week period. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember why I was there. I just was there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and during that time I met a kid uh, whose name, I don't know if I can actually legally say his name yeah, or not. You, can, so uh, we, you don't have to say his I name. I just won't say his name. He's, how old was he? He's 15, 15 year old. He's 16. 16 year old kid. Okay. You're struggling with ages today. John. I know, I am. Yeah, that's me getting older. <laughs> I think I just turned 38. <laughs> I think you did. I wish I was, I, oh gosh, I wish I was 38. Dead. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. So you met this 15 year old kid. Yeah, 16. <laughs> 16. Dang it. Uh, I actually did meet him though when he was 15. Hey. I, I met him like, a couple months before real quick. That's and, why I um, said 15. There it is. There you go. Okay. You know, yeah. your heart. Gotcha. Um, so I, I met him months before and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was just in and out of the bridge house. I was supposed to be doing something, mm-hmm. just grabbing it and um, maybe taking some pictures or something like that and then leaving. But then I saw him and he was out there just playing basketball by himself and the guy was just standing there, you know, just arms folded, the, the mm-hmm. caseworker. He wasn't going to play basketball with him. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just play. And uh, so then I stayed and uh, I just really loved connecting with him. And um, it just was, it was cool because I didn't plan it. And yeah. I just knew I felt like I needed to stay. And so then fast forward, I that two weeks, like I see him again. And this was mm-hmm. like months later. Yeah. And so um, he was back again. And in that time, just connecting with him. And, um, you know, I just think about him a lot and praying about him and just thought about like, you know, possibly taking him in. And um, Jen, one of the, the person that was on the podcast, first person. Yeah, yeah. First podcast. She's our house coordinator. At the listen Bridge to it, first podcast. Yeah. Yes, um, listen to that first podcast if you haven't with Jennifer Gallahart. It is yes. incredible. Yeah. It's foster care calling her command. It's a goodie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, so he was on my heart. Yeah. And um, and Jen had brought him up. Yeah. And so then he had met my wife because my wife was cleaning the bridge house. Yeah. And he had asked her, he's like, hey, do you think Messiah would, do you think you guys would adopt me? And, um, oh my gosh. So yeah. And she was like, you, he's, he, he asked you, he, but that's the thing. He never asked me. Him? He asked Jen. Oh, okay. and then, cause I didn't, I had saw him for a couple of weeks and I yeah. couldn't see him for a couple of days. And then Jen had told me that he oh, had asked gosh. her. And then the first person he saw out of me and my wife was my wife. And so then he asked her. And so then that night we were just like going for a walk. We knew that we needed to talk. And as I'm sitting there talking, I just kind of stop. I'm just thinking, and she's like, you're, you're thinking about him, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm like, all right, we need to talk about this. And so basically it was like a super quick conversation. It wasn't like weeks long. It was just yeah, like like a two minute, wow. like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Like, I, I think I think we should, you know, and like we know obviously it's going to be extremely hard. There's going to be so much that happens with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were like, who are we to, to tell God, no, like we're going to give him our yes and then we will allow him to close the doors he needs to close. Mm-hmm. But we'll just be faithful with this. And um and yeah, that was the end of the conversation. And so the next day I go back to Jen and I'm like, hey, like we're like, we want to do this. And she's like, okay. And so then she like immediately gets on the phone, starts calling everybody. Yeah, yeah. And that process starts on a Tuesday and then he comes home with us Friday. Wow. So yeah. 
So just to everyone yeah. understands this, Masai and his wife Jasmine are serving at the bridge house where there's kids there that are waiting foster care. 15-year-old boy going up to Jen, then going up to Jasmine, pleading with them to <laughs> adopt him, <laughs> take him home so he doesn't have to be at the bridge house anymore, doesn't have to be in this system anymore. Mm-hmm. And then from there, Messiah goes for a walk with his wife. They're praying about it, and they immediately come to the conclusion that they need to move forward. Mm-hmm. You tell Jen yes. Next thing you know, this kiddo's in your care, mm-hmm. and now he's with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. You guys are probably think of the percentage of people that you know. I have never in my life met somebody who is twenty-two years old and is fostering a sixteen-year-old kid. <laughs> ever. I don't. I'm wondering if there's even anyone out there that's ever even done that because <laughs> it's so rare. Because here's the thing, though, because. When people people get mad about injustices, especially when it comes to their community, and it's so easy just to be like, I'm going to comment on this Instagram post. I'm mm-hmm. going to get in front of the media. I'm going to do this. Yeah. But for someone just to not do anything like that and just to say, you know what? I'm just going to foster. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be part of the solution. Yeah. That's what I mean by leading up. Mm-hmm. Because that you're never going to change everything. Yeah. No one's ever going to change everything except mm-hmm. for Jesus. He's going to come back. He's going to make all things new and make all things right, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to put policies and procedures and have you know the correct things in place in, in our government structure and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You know, of course we should do all those things to, yeah. try to, to try to bring heaven to earth now, right, to the best of our ability. But sometimes it's just simply a simple yes of saying, hey, I'll be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Versus taking all my energy and every, every to talk about the problem. Yeah, yeah. And so again, in that moment of leading up, it's you know, you could have come to me and be like, "Man, I'm so frustrated. All these kids are here. There's nowhere for them to go. Mm-hmm. I can't even deal with this anymore. It's just so overwhelming. It's de- causing depression in my life. It's causing anxiety. I just don't know that I can do this. It's too hard." You mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, I'll foster." Yeah, I'll take someone in my home. I have an extra bedroom. Hmm. And even though everyone was, you know, we were, even I was as your friend and just as a someone who's been a leader in your life, I've, I was even very honestly a little hesitant I, and kind of, I called you and I yeah. said, man, really make sure that, you know, that the Lord's really telling you to do this. And mm-hmm. I said, man, I admire, man, I admire the heck out of you. Just really make sure you and your wife agree. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I definitely will. And the next thing you know, there he is. He's yeah. doing life with you. I know. And uh, you had to go through the whole thing. You had to go through the, you had to get the home visit done, right? Mm-hmm. They did a home visit on you guys. Yeah. Um, he's been staying with you all through the summer and now you're getting ready to <laughs> take him to school. Which yeah. Is, that's got to, have you gone to a parent teacher conference yet or no? No, no, I've just been in the emails. Okay. Um, which, which is, yeah. Cause you're going to walk in and they're going to, I just can't wait to see their faces. These teachers who are saying, Hey, you know, are you his legal guardian? Yeah. Yeah. I am. yeah. You look like you're his brother. I <laughs> uh, no, Yeah. Yeah. It's already happened a couple of times with different things. Yeah. Be like, they'll be like, so what's the, what's the relationship here? What is the, yeah. And they'll be like, like, Oh, we'll show you guys like brothers or something. I'm like, I'm like, do you see what I look like? Do you see what he looks like? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know if that's. Yeah, I'm black. He's white. Yeah. <laughs> that's so crazy, man. It still blows my mind that yeah. you guys are. And and you know the other reason is too is because 
it's when you're in that age of 22 years old, you've been married for a year. Mm-hmm. Most, I would say 99.9% of people I know would never do that mm-hmm. because they're thinking, Hey, this is the time we need to grow as a husband and wife. This is a time that we, I mean, I'm, and honestly, I can, I would probably have been persuaded by them that they shouldn't do that. And so I think it's just a very beautiful picture of what is possible when you're Mm -hmm. obedient and that we don't have to have such compartmentalized processes for every season of our life that look like other people. And I think young adults, all of us can fall into that. It's like, okay, we're 21, 22. Okay. I got married or, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're just going to focus on our, our, our marriage because we're young and then we're going to start thinking about our family. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, they have these, we all have these processes in place, these milestones that we set up for ourselves. And I'm just wondering, man, what would it look like if we just were all, man, God, what do you want us to do? And, when we're exposed to things that maybe he wants to bring our attention to, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. What would you say out there to people that, I mean, young adults out there, I mean, you're married one year, you're fostering a kid, 16 years old. You're not making tons of money. I know what you get paid. <laughs> <laughs> and number three, <laughs> you know, you've got a small place that y'all are living in. I mean, you have a place for him to have his own room, but yeah. I mean, it's not like, you com- inherited all this money. It's just easy for you. I mean, it's hard. For, it's not easy for you all to yeah, do what you're doing. Yeah, yeah no. Um, I think just just the faithfulness um, and just being faithful to like what the Lord has, and instead of being faithful to the situation and how you think it should play out, because mm. it can be easy to stay faithful to the plan mm-hmm. that you think that you have. Versus staying faithful to what the Lord has. Mm. And they're two very different things. And sometimes they look the same. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like one is more important than the other. Yeah. And so I think just just that. Because, for for example, I could have done it to be like, hey, I'm 22 and I got a kid here. But I'm fostering, mm-hmm. you know, for like the cloud or for just because it would be a great story. Mm-hmm. But that's what I mean. Like it's not about like the plan one way or the other of like, okay, this, this would work out really great in like 10, 20 years. And this is going to work out even better in 10, 20 years. It's kind of like, okay, like, is this like what we're being presented with? And this mm-hmm. is what the Lord wants. Um, then just doing that, mm-hmm. not worrying about the qualifications of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously like it'll shut down if not. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that the lady had said, um, the supervisor lady was just like, you know, who am I to get in the way of what God's doing? Mm. Like for me, like, that, that was what we said. Wow. And so then for that, that to was be... That caseworker who said that to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know the lady whose name start with a K? Yeah. Yeah. She said that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The K lady. Gotcha. <laughs> so yeah, that that's what I mean. I think just, just knowing that you have to be faithful to what it is that you think God is doing, mm. or if you don't know what it is, just look into his word. Right? Yes. And he talks about taking care of the widows and the orphans. And there yeah, is yeah, a, yeah. I mean, that's why I got a job at the nursing home when we were living in Wisconsin, because yeah. I was like, well, I don't really know what to do. And yeah. so it says take care of widows and orphans. So I'm going to just pick one. Yeah. <laughs> go with it. yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, or I'll just, you know, work at a drive through or something, right? You know, yeah. 
but that's what I mean. Like just being faithful to what the Lord is prompting you to, or if you don't yes. know what that is, like he gives enough clarity in the word, mm-hmm. um, whether you're just being faithful at home or whether you're, yeah, you know. For sure. So, And I agree. The thing that I think is so important for all of us to do as a takeaway on this is that Francis Chan actually said this one time because he's an adoptive parent. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't ever read Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love, or uh, Letters to the Church, fantastic books. I mean, he has so many goodies. Um, but mm-hmm. one of the things I love about him is he always says, instead of sitting around as a church or as a Christian and asking God, should I foster? Should I adopt? Should I be part of this? Or should I do that? He said, if you know there are, you're presented and you're exposed to, to something where you can bring change to that, why don't you just say yes to fostering and move, move into that direction and allow God to be the one to shut the door? And if you're not supposed to do it, like he'll shut the door. Now, granted, all of us have situations and reasons of maybe why we can't do that in this mm-hmm. moment. And there's very legitimate ones for yeah. sure. But I just think that we can, with anything in life, whether it's fostering, whether it's missions, whether it's uh, changing habits in our life to align up more with truths of the gospel and the, mm-hmm. and, and the word of God that maybe might be hard for us that requires us to be obedient and requires us to be uh, confronted with things that might be hard. Mm-hmm. And I think the human, the hum, the humanity of us all is always trying to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. We are from the time that we are born till throughout our whole life, we're always trying to fulfill things that are comfort. Mm-hmm. Like how can we, we want the perfect amount of air conditioning to heat ratio. We don't want to be too cold. We don't want to be too hot. Like we mm-hmm. don't want to go to church that doesn't have this. We don't want to fill in the blank. We become, we're born into consumerism to feed every desire that can possibly make our life easier, uh, simple, um, comfortable. And yet the gospel is 100% contrary to all of that. Yeah. And if we're willing to have our life disrupted, Yes, there will be hardship in there. Yes, there will be things that we end up, that we're confronted with that are very difficult. But the thing that's so sad about it, and I was just talking to my wife about this the other day, is that you can spend your entire life trying to be comfortable and gain the world. And the Bible says, what is it all worth if you lose your soul? Mm -hmm. Because none of this we take with us into eternity. Yeah, We lose everything that we've worked for. Mm -hmm. And even if we pass it down to generational wealth, they eventually pass yeah. away. And yeah. who's know if they're going to, whether it be what we, we hope they're going to be not. wise yeah. with it yeah. or, but we don't know, right? We don't know if they're going to be wise or if they're going to be like the prodigal son and just, you know, throw it all away. We have no idea what they're going to do, you know? So I think it's like, why not live radically now? Where mm-hmm. if we, if we're following Jesus, we're saying, man, God, I'm just going to wake up every day and just say, man, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Give me this day my daily bread. Show me what you want to do. You want to disrupt my life? My car is yours. My house is yours. Mm-hmm. I do. I want to do what you want me to do. And if I can't, maybe I'm confronted with a solution. Maybe I'm not the solution, but I care enough about it to find a solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see what God's going to do. Yeah. Man, what an amazing conversation with my man, Messiah Spivey. My two big takeaways that I got from him is one, when you're leading up in an organization or wherever you're at, is honesty is key, but also being willing to rally around the decision that a leader makes unambiguously 
and be able to carry the torch with him as they are moving forward. Secondly, my biggest takeaway was uh, his ability to start every day by just saying, man, God, your hands are my hands, your feet are my feet. I'm going to do what you've called me to do, even if maybe be totally different than what my age and generation is doing. I'm going to live for you sold out and go all out. I just think that's amazing. And I think we can all learn both of those things in our life and leading up and being obedient every day with the things God's given us. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Live One for One. We'll catch you next week.